Hey guys, I hope you're all enjoying this podcast. I know I'm really enjoying doing it. It's my favorite thing to connect with people and go deep and see where our journeys overlap and how we can inspire each other through connection. And if you've ever thought about doing a podcast, I invite you to try it. It's really easy. And the platform that I'm using to create this podcast, Anchor, makes it really simple. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. And now, Anchor can match you with great sponsors who want to advertise on your podcast, which means you can get paid to podcast right away. In fact, that's what I'm doing right now by reading this ad. So if you've ever thought about it and you have an iPhone or a desktop that you can record podcasts at, Try it right away. It's really simple and fun, and it's a great way to connect and build community. Now back to the podcast. This is the Souls of San Francisco podcast by Souls of Society. I'm Dijon, founder of Souls of Society. Each week, we connect with a member of our community to hear their story and get to know them better so we can strengthen our community bonds. This week, we're sitting down with Aaron Kimura, artist, activist, fifth-generation San Franciscan. All right, so this is the introductory Souls of San Francisco podcast. I'm Dijon, the creator of Souls of San Francisco. We decided to create this podcast to have a deeper experience getting to know people, and I'm sitting here with Aaron Kimura. Hello. How are y'all doing? So my name is Erin Kimura. Thank you for having me, of course. Um, I'm 24. I'm a fifth-generation San Franciscan, a fifth-generation Chinese-American, and fifth-generation Japanese-American. I come from the depths of the indigo blues and hues, and from the cosmos beyond. I'm an artist, an activist, an artivist, for that matter. I'm a facilitator and a San Franciscan off tops. Awesome. Thanks for being here. You said you're a fifth generational San Franciscan. Mm-hmm. So my Chinese, um, my, gr- I don't even know, great greats, my great great grand, I don't even know. See, but my Chinese American side, they basically came here in 1849 mm-hmm. during the gold rush. Um, my, my mother's maternal side came here to build the railroad. And actually, my and they stayed ever since. So my great, oh my goodness, my great-great-grandma actually had um, a laundromat on Valencia. Back in the day when, like, Valencia and Mission Dolores, that area, was like the original San Francisco. That's where it all started, you know? Mm-hmm. Dirt roads, that whole situation. Yeah, my great-great-grandma had a laundry there. Cool. Mm-hmm. So your family came from China. Yeah, they came from China. Um, they came from Toisan, um, which is a part of the larger Guangzhou area, which is where like a lot of Chinese America, or at least from the early waves in the mid 1800s, where they came from. They mostly came from that area. Um, yeah, and then my Japanese side, my great. Great, oh, great. I don't know how many grades ever to put on. Um, but he immigrated to Kauai um, in Hawaii mm, to be a teacher. 
and then so from there, we my family lived in Honolulu, and so I kind of have. It's cool because yeah, being both Chinese and Japanese is dope because I am like a walking contradiction, which is quite nice.、Mm-hmm. Um, my grandparents actually started crying when they found out my parents were going to get married. They were literally. Torn apart to pieces. They're like, no, I told you never to marry Japanese Japanese man. So,、um, so yeah, it's pretty cool. And my grandma actually in Chinatown during the 1940s, there's this thing called the Rice Bowl Parade. Now, what the Rice Bowl actually maybe it was a late no, it was the early 1940s. So what happened during the Rice Bowl Parade in Chinatown?、Um, another one of my great uncles, he was an author and a newspaper writer in Chinatown. Um, but he organized this parade that basically raised money for China during the Japanese takeover、mm-hmm. when Japan was imperializing China, Manchuria,、um, the Red Banking, that whole that whole、um, history. So、mm-hmm. my grandma was that one young Chinese American lady on the float, like waving her hand,、um, having rice thrown in the air. We're still trying to look for her picture in the archives, actually.、Um, but yeah, it's just. Funny to know that's like oh, you know there was these opposing sides, but yet here I am. What's really good? Yeah, can't do anything because it's blood now. So yeah, yeah. Well, I'm a sucker for love stories. Do you know the story of how your parents got together? Well, my parents are high school sweethearts.、Mm-hmm. They met when they were 16. My dad, who was damn rough around the edges at the time, he's not now. <laughs> he probably won't claim it, but.、Um, He was trying to talk to my mom's chemistry partner, so they went to Lowell High School out here, which is also where I went.、Mm-hmm. Um, and my parents never went to school; they didn't really care. They were really smart, though. But so when my dad did go to chemistry class, when my mom did go to chemistry class that one time,、um, my dad tried to talk to my mom's chem partner. My mom thought he was a creep. She's like, "I don't know this boy with his white tee and his little jeans and his Converse's leather jacket. I don't know who he is."、Mm-hmm. My mom thought it was strange.、Mm-hmm. Ultimately, I don't know how it happened, but they never really tell us like the, you know, the big deeds. But basically, they got together together ever since. So what? They're sixty now. They met when they were sixteen. So、wow. it's been a minute to say the very least. And how many kids do they have? How many siblings? Um, so three. So my older brother Ryan, who's thirty four, and my sister, who's thirty one, and then me, who's twenty four. So yeah. Mm. So is your father Japanese? Yes, my dad. My mother's Chinese. Yeah. So the, I guess the idea that those two cultures weren't supposed to mix wasn't like passed down.、Mm-hmm. Your grandparents still feel kind of that way, or your great、no. great grandparents? Well, my great grandparents, yeah, they were pretty. They were like not down with the marriage, and then my grandparents. For sure, my Japanese grandma was not cool with it.、Mm-hmm. I know my Chinese grandparents were like kind of uneasy. I remember my mom told me that when she told them that they were getting married, my grandma, my Chinese grandma and grandpa walked down to the car in the garage and just sat in the car and just talked about it, <laughs> just like, oh my goodness. So yeah, that's basically yeah how we came about. Yeah, right on.、Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also curious to know about. What you were saying about your activism, your art and activism combined? Yeah. What kind of art do you make? So most of the art I make, it's mostly visual.、Um, I do. I love meticulous, tedious, pattern making designs.、Um, I draw a lot. 
I only use black ink. It's usually my jam. I do a lot of collages. But basically what I'm trying to show is I'm trying to find er, – there is an intersection between art as well as activism in many ways. Like, I mean, look at Banksy, you know? Art is there to provoke, to create responses, to create emotional responses, to right. move others. So when you have these politically provoking pieces, you can't help but just to look and just be like, huh. So right now my current um, – my current crowdfunding campaign I'm doing is on Indiegogo. It's called We Will Be Respected. There's two days left. But um, basically what it is, it's a picture of this woman who has like a geisha hairstyle. And to me, she is the pretty much the emblem of Madame Butterfly. So Madame Butterfly, as another side note, um, is a character depicted in yellow face um, that was created by Giacomo Puccini back in like I want to say like the early 1800s it was an opera basically but what it does is it's just this Japanese woman who um, kills herself for the white man is heartbroken and um, goes crazy because the white soldier who's American leaves her and and then um, so yeah it, it portrays women these this Asian American woman as submissive as weak as just this object is in like tied independent to white patriarchy in many in many ways. And for me, growing up in San Francisco, I grew up in a bubble. I grew up in very empowered to be who I am as an Asian American woman. So when I went to Santa Barbara, ooh, because they called me Oriental Fantasy. They asked me if they could give me a massage. They asked me, or if I could give them a massage. Excuse me. I was called chink multiple times. Um, There's a time where I found there was a letter and it said, you stupid Asian slut that doesn't know how to drive, you're blind. Um, if you ever park here again, we will throw a brick through your window. Love, skinhead. Um, so, yeah, all of these things. And then when I came back here, I actually had to file a sexual harassment claim against John Liddell, a 63-year-old white man. Who, anyways, I'm over it. Basically, I'm just over the stereotypes, um, I'm over being objectified, commodified, exoticized, I'm over being stereotyped, confined by the projections of others, um, by these unjust projections that none of my ancestors even had a hand in making themselves. They didn't do that themselves. These images were conjured by what? These, the little tip top up there, mm -hmm. by the long fetch of history, um, during a time of colonialism and imperialism in Asia. So um, my art is basically a reclamation of my own body, and it's a reclamation of my own image as an Asian-American woman. So it's this lady throwing up a middle finger and then a peace sign and then a fist. The fist is like an homage to the legacy of community organizing and the civil rights activism that took place, especially within the um, Asian American movement and the black movement. And then also um, the peace sign. To me, by saying, by expressing how I feel and saying, fuck you, <laughs> it's a way of peacemaking for mm -hmm. myself. Mm -hmm. um, because these projections that are often like, when people call me an orange fantasy, when people look at me up and down, when I wear red lipstick and I feel violated, it's violence. Like when people ask me, oh, you look so sexy with that red lipstick. Or it's like when I wear a kimono, it's just like people pay extra attention to me. Mm -hmm. 
it's just that's violent for me. That's super violent, especially having gone through actual sexual, like some real sexual harassment. Like it's a form of PTSD that I carry with me too. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So my artivism is a way of raising consciousness through art, Re- like shifting narrative, shifting the paradigms through art. Mm. Um, yeah. So that's basically my jam right now. Yeah, I hear you. Sounds like a lot to deal with. And I'm curious as to how that affects your personal relationships, you know? Oh, yeah. Because I know that we all have different forms of baggage that we accumulate based on our experiences. Mm -hmm. So in your dating history, does that make it difficult for you to be close with people or like wonder if they're exoticizing you or? Yeah, I think... Because of these, my experiences thus far, and of course, I've been, you know, having been an Asian American studies, black studies major, I've, you know, I've been armed with these wonderful weapons forged by folks like Bell Hooks, like Grace Lee Boggs, Angela Davis. So you already know I'm feeling damn empowered with all this sassy wit, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, yes, my relationships definitely are affected. Um, I would say I try not to assume. I try my very best but when I do come across, like, white men that are super domineering and that tell me that my lipstick is sexy, I get freaked out. I get scared. I get, like, pretty defensive, and I put up a huge fat wall, and I don't, I don't always know what to do. Like, I kind of, I'm emotionally kind of thrown all over the place and kind of distraught, so... Yeah, it has affected my relationships with strangers, I guess, in that manner. But Is it specifically white men, or if anyone says that, is it kind of the same reaction? Um, I would say if anyone says it, it's the same reaction. But I, unfortunately, because of the sexual harassment case, <laughs> the white men, yeah, it's just it's, that status quo of just, like, white men just scares me. Right. So what's your perspective on that dynamic between white men and Asian women? Because I feel like... I heard the statistic somewhere. I didn't check it, but yeah. um, that that's the largest or the fastest marrying group in America. Japanese, mar- yeah. yeah. The um, Japanese have the highest rate of outmarriage, and for many reasons, it was the internment camps. You know, after the camps, after the prison camps in the nineteen forties, Japanese Americans were actually they were told by the war um, relocation agency that if they congregate with other Japanese Americans, that that is not okay. That they will be fined. That people go after them. So you witness so many Japanese Americans who kind of lost everything, who had to start all over again, only had $25 in their pocket, go to Chicago, be the only Japanese kids on the block, or like go Boston, go to all of these little places. And they assimilated. They were forced, you know, because it was like, okay, we're American, we're American, and we're going to be American. We're not Japanese no more, you know? So there is a highest rate out here. So but I do think it is cool because love does transcend these barriers in so many ways. Like, I mean, I can't say that um, invalidate anyone's love because I think it's beautiful because there is that. But I do have to say, like, looking at America's history with Asian countries and or like AP, like the Philippines and whatnot and like what actually went down and like colonialism and what was done to women during that time. Mm-hmm. Um especially by American soldiers, like rape and whatnot. It's scary, but I don't think it jades my perception of, like, um, mixed-race marriages or anything like that, So, yeah. or mixed-race relationships in any way. So, yeah. 
Yeah, I hear you. It's a complex issue. Right. You know? um, well, you know, let's uh, focus on some lighter things for a second. So just like as a fifth generational San Franciscan, like what is your idea of a good time in the city? Like where do you like to hang out? Where do you like to go? I'm what's afraid your, to even say. What's your scene? I know. Oh, Loa, yo girl got so many scenes out here. I don't even want to give up all my secret <laughs> spots, you know? It's like, I know, you know, it's... Okay, well... You don't have to say the secret spots. You can just say, like, what a good time is for you. Okay. Like, you like to go dancing? You like, like, what do you like? Okay, so a good time for me. I love riding Muni. It's really fun because I really like talking to people. And I like just seeing people. It makes me so happy to be on an enclosed space with others. And that's like we have no choice but to like get along in this small space. Mm -hmm. And you see so many things. Like I learned so much from the Stockton bus. Dude, is it called the 70? Yeah. The Stockton bus, the one in Chinatown. I learned so much. Like all the ladies always like, you know, the older women, they always whack me with their pink bags. But they keep me in check. It's cool. But it's always nice to meet other people. So I love riding the bus. I love going on adventures, so whether that, luckily I have a car out here, so since I was in high school, I've always been going on, what I, I've been going on these blunt safaris, which are quite nice. Um, blunt safaris. Blunt safaris, yes, yeah. yes, yes. So mom and dad, it's totally legal, but um, yeah, so what I do is me and the homies, blunts are a really big part of like, I feel like my public school upbringing here, mm -hmm. like, it's just one of those things that we always saw, we always smelled, that was always around, not a big situation, not a big deal. Mm -hmm. See them at the bus stops, okay. The police see it, it's, it happens. Um, so we all just cruise throughout the city, and I do know a lot of the history here, so it's always fun to show my homies around. Um, I love going to the Penny Arcade which used to be at Cliff House near the ocean, and it, which was the old Playland or the old boardwalk back in the day. But now it's at Fisherman's Wharf, but they have all the old school machines and arcades. Um, and from like the early 1900s, they're so much fun. And I used to go there as a kid. So I like going there. That's one of my favorite places. And of course, I love eating here. Food is such a big part of my life and my upbringing here. Um, I don't even know where to begin. I know all the dank spots. I can't lie to you. <laughs> Dim sum. Right. You got to give us a couple. Okay. Hong Kong Flower Lounge number two. Number two. Hong don't get Kong it twisted. Flower Lounge number two. Yes. Where's that? On Geary and Spruce. Okay. It's a smaller one. There's a larger one down the but I like this one because I just do. Um, their Chasu Bao's slap, reason being, is because on the top, they have, like, the nice, crispy, crunchy, like, sweet, like, pineapple bun top. Mm -hmm. And then, like, that juicy, sweet pork in the middle. And, like, just, oh, delicious. And then they have those really good... See, I wish I could speak Chinese, but because it, I'm so far off, I don't know a damn thing. So when I ask my grandma, you know, like, how do I say this? Or, like, and I try to say it. Literally, waiters will laugh at me. And I'm just like, oh, okay, trying my best here. Um, but there, I obviously love Brenda's. Brenda's French Soul Food Kitchen. Their shrimp and grits off the damn hook. Those, that I can eat that every day. Um, it's cheddar grits with um, bacon, tomato, um, this yummy broth and garlic shrimp. And then um, I love House of Prime Rib. It's only for the special occasions, of <laughs> course. But House of Prime Rib, I grew up there because my grandpa would always um, drink his cocktails there. Uh -huh. 
and so I knew all the bartenders, and then somehow we got to know the manager, and then we used to always see the Niners there, so we saw Steve Young, Jerry Rice, it was cool. Right. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a lot. I have a lot to check out. Yeah. San Francisco is so dense in that way. You know, I've been here almost eight years, but I've been to maybe... 10% of the places you said, even though I know of them, mm-hmm. you know, there's just so much to do. There is. There is. Even I still, well, I do have to say I've been to a lot of places here. I still need to go to the newer establishments, but there are still times where it's like I still explore new neighborhoods all the time, new streets I've never been on before. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's cool. Like, there's always little treasures everywhere. And this, the thing about this city, there's so much history. Um not a lot of those, not a lot of these streets, um, people know because they're in the southeast corner, like where we're at now. They're in the cuts. That's the thing. That's another thing. I love San Francisco. Well, where I live, I live in a cut. And what is cutty? Cutty basically means like out of pocket. Like you, oh, you live in a cutty spot. You live like yeah. in the middle of like I wouldn't have known. Yeah, just not a mainstream spot. Right off the beaten path right and I feel like for me that's what it all was about in like growing up it was like we always trying to keep it cutty we always wanted to be new fresh we always wanted to you know be sneaky but find a new spot but be keep it cool keep it chill it was always tight so I feel like the Bay Area in general generates so much new culture whether it's cultural or like it's like Google or Facebook or Twitter and like dictating how people interact and communicate with each other or even if it's like sports you know like yeah. the Niners have been going off the Giants won the World Series a few times the Warriors are crushing it right now mm-hmm. what do you think it is about the Bay Area that makes it pop off in so many different ways oh I love the Bay so much I would have to say it's of course the people the people make it um the Bay Area has always been like the vanguard to me of America because it's the West it's that wild, wild west that everyone was trying to go to. Remember, like we are saying, um, it was all the misfits kind of came over this way. I didn't really fit in, so let's go over here. Um, so I love the Bay because you get so many different type of people, and it's it's this beautiful, like, you get all these different waves of different um, folks from all different places coming through. You have, um, for example, like, I mean, even with my own family, like the Chinese, the first wave of Chinese Americans in the early 1800s and the Japanese Americans and the Filipino Americans and the great migration from the South, you get this wonderful, like, blend and mixture. But let's not forget, like, also the early 1800s during the first, like, when we had the Buffalo soldiers come over here or Mary Ellen Pleasant, who was one of the first um, abolitionist workers of part of the Underground Railroad here in California. She was a part of, like, the West and her, she actually planted six trees on Octavia Street, mm. Octavia and Bush, so just side note. But um, San Francisco, or the Bay Area is just polyculturalism. Polyculturalism is Robin G. Kelly, his idea of polyculturalism as opposed to multiculturalism. is this idea that cultures are not just distinct, especially in America, that cultures can interact with one another and in fact create their own subcultures. But these subcultures can interact with other subcultures and create this this unique blended culture, or it could have just many different cultures altogether. Oh, that sounds super cool. So how is polyculturalism different than multiculturalism? So multiculturalism is this idea of like, hey, we're all different and we all have different ethnic groups, but they are distinct. They are not necessarily mixing. Mm. So... For example, let's look at like Asian American jazz that came out of mostly 
Um, for example, if you look at San Francisco, Japantown, there's this huge jazz movement that came out of there because you had Japanese American folks and black folks right there. It was a Harlem of the West. So you had this beautiful, like, I mean, if you look at like Raphael Wells School and Morning Star um, School that was in the neighborhood mm -hmm. during that time, it was all mixed. You had a German pre priest at that at Morning Star who was German, but he spoke fluent Japanese, and he actually went to the camps with the Japanese Americans during that time. But you also have like um, black nuns, black teachers, and you like all over the spe spectrum. So that's what I love the most is just the bear. There's barriers, but they seem to be broken down a lot in the Bay. Hmm. So it's tight. That's awesome. So um, how do you see your future unfolding in the Bay? Lord have mercy. I have no idea. So the San Francisco, I'm going to live and die in San Francisco. I don't care what nobody says. I'm going to die here. Like, <laughs> Have you lived anywhere else? Okay. Well, I'm born and raised here, so I have, but when I went to college, I went to UC Santa Barbara. Mm -hmm. Clearly, we know how that went. Mm, it was cool. Wasn't all that and a bag of chips. Um, but San Francisco is truly the place where one of my friends, Vita Kuang, said it so beautifully and eloquently. Um, this is the place where I find myself and lose myself all at the same time, mm -hmm. especially coming back with all these changes and what's going on. Um, yeah, I'm so rooted here. My family toiled here back my the last four generations. Literally went through so much um, racist, so so much racist sentiment from the outside. A lot of violence. They dealt with that. They really dealt with like so many barriers, like the alien land laws, the Asian Exclusion Acts, like um, just poverty in general. And I'm still here. Like, the fact that I'm still here and I'm a fifth-generation San Franciscan is amazing because the 1800s, the late 1800s, that's when they had the anti-Asian exclusion laws, basically creating a bachelor society, uh, basically prevented women, Asian women, from coming into America. So you have this Chinese bachelor society. And we couldn't own land. We weren't considered naturalized citizens. So it's like there's so many bar barriers that my family went through. Mm -hmm. And the fact that I'm still here is a miracle and incredible and a rarity. My grandma always tells me that. She's like, Aaron, you're fifth generation. You're so rare. And she, and you know, so yeah. It seems like that sometimes can be a lot of pressure though. Yeah. You know, it's, I mean, I feel like my family is well established and has done a lot and overcome a lot of barriers. And mm -hmm. therefore I was blessed a lot by opportunities that, I feel like maybe other people didn't have access to. Right. Um, and then with that comes a certain amount of responsibility to like do something with that. Like, you right. Know, you know that feeling? No, absolutely. And I would say, um, I know exactly what you mean by that responsibility. And for a long time I was thinking about ways, well, like how can I like, what am I trying to do in this world, in this city? Like, you know, what is my responsibility? And in many ways I was like, all right, like, you know, back in the day, I was like, we're going to be mayor, we'll do this, we're going to get a policy, but now I'm just like, nah, fuck that, like, I can't deal with politics, so I realized that, you know, even just me, like, living fully in the moment, that is also my responsibility, like, happiness is progress in of itself, mm. you know what I'm saying, like, progress, or no, happy, like, just being happy is, 
um, kind of like social change too. It's like, we're taking charge of our lives and like, you know, um, and just self-preservation and loving my life and loving myself. That's a beautiful perspective. Thoughts. I think that's a, a perspective of our current age where progress is not necessarily defined by external factors or accomplishments. It's mm-hmm. more a beingness. Yeah. Um, which I feel like is enlightened. I mean, that's personally what I'm striving for. Yeah, and within, without. Everything sure. emanates from that internal centeredness, I think. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. And I can't help but feel like very tied spiritually to San Francisco as well. Um, I feel like yeah. San Francisco has a very uh, spiritual component. You know, this project is Souls of San Francisco. And we're just talking about other projects that are maybe focused more on this plane, but people out here have a certain cosmic awareness that's pretty universal. Mm-hmm. People are into energy out here and like Reiki and like yoga Reiki. and the kind of woo-woo type of thing that people make fun of us for. But for, yeah. for people in California, it's a, it's a real thing. And what do you think it is? Um, like, where do you think that awareness comes from? That's a good question. Well, I, I can, well, at least only speaking for myself, I think because I went to a, an alternative elementary school as a public school, SFUSD for the one, whoop, whoop. Um, my alternative school was very, it was year round, but it was very focused on the, like the holistic development of a child. So really addressing the different intelligences of an individual. So we did, we went to Marin Headlands a lot. So we did Yosemite trips. We went, we did sleepovers and we saw whales and it was cool. We went on nature walks and all that. And not to mention, I kicked it in Golden Gate Park a lot. Mm -hmm. Granted, we also had Ocean Beach, you know? So this is a provincial town in many ways. San Francisco's provincial. So it's kind of like we had, we're surrounded by the environment and also, we got earthquakes, which I, okay, and I know everyone, like, is so scared of earthquakes. Yes, earthquakes are very scary, specifically, I mean, what's happening in Nepal right now as well. Um, positive thoughts go there. But it's grounding just to know it's like, oh, shit, we ain't shit. <laughs> we ain't sh- we are the shit, but we ain't shit at the same time. I was reading uh, this Pima Chodron little book, and she was talking about that today, how we're all essentially made up of the four elements, and... The nature of those elements is always in flux, you know, and right. it's, it's moving within us, but it's also moving um, outside of us. And sometimes it's stagnant and yeah. grounding, and sometimes it's an earthquake. Flips you. And it really mm-hmm. changes your perspective because you're like, wait, I'm not actually in control of anything, you know. I can't even, like, stand up right now. I just have to, like, you know, it's these humbling moments. Yeah. Which I, I, agree. I feel like that type of perspective is good to get. Uh, reminded of from time to time yo it puts us in check that's for surely i mean everyone remembers where they were during the 1989 earthquake right that's always the san francisco you always ask them where were you during the 19 everyone will remember because it was so landmark right and those things that shook our entire world but that also brings community together that's just like okay everyone let's remember what matters okay and that's what it's about yes your land rover do not and i'm sorry i've been wishing i'm that's no i shouldn't say that but you know the only way i can really afford living in san francisco is there's another (laughs) sorry that's messed up (laughs) truly um but also to continue with um this idea of like spirituality and nature and all that i think also another one would be just 
obviously the 60s and 70s out here. The Bay Area was a hot bed. I mean, Oakland, you had the Black Panther movement. You also had Berkeley, the third, you had San Francisco State, the third world strike. I mean, ethnic studies was created as SO State. Like this whole third world movement was created here. But with that also came environmentalism and whatnot. So, and also just like going inward, this idea of going inward and, you know, the Japanese, also there's a lot of Japanese American religious establishments that I grew up in. And it was a lot about Buddhism too. So um, we just have all these different things that kind of, I feel like, make us look. And the cool thing about it, like, I grew up with no religion, but I was exposed to many, like, I made my mom in third grade buy me a book about Judaism because I was really frustrated that all the kids in my class were doing Hanukkah. And I was like, well, what about me? Like, I'm feeling a little left out. Who is Jesus? When was he born? I need to know the facts. So, but it was cool because I got to pick and choose what, um my own beliefs and I got to like build my own. It was cool. Um, but yeah. I think you are the perfect example of the polyculturalism and why San Francisco is so cool. It's because it's this extreme hybridization of all these different cultures and beliefs. And that's really the age we live in, right? Mm -hmm. It's like you used to only have access to your own village or community and the thought forms that arose from that situation. But now you have access to everything. Right. Um, I was just listening to someone say that, you know, kids are always on their devices and they're always like plugged into all these different um, points around the world, but they're also the most like tolerant and um, kind of peaceful generation because they have all this access to information yeah. and things aren't so foreign to them. It's just like, they just have a broader perspective. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. The internet is like the new frontier, yo. Like... <laughs> I realize I need to occupy space in cyberspace now, but yeah, um, working with kids too out here. Oh gosh, I work at um, I teach art at in Hunters Point at a children's center, mm-hmm. and there, yeah, the most brilliant, brilliant um, students of resilience of, of resilience. Um, they know so much. They put me on game all the time. You know what I'm saying? But yeah. The youth here, and that's what I always liked about, I mean, being a kid in San Francisco for me, I always felt super empowered to be a kid. <laughs> for some reason, I felt, I I remember feeling like I could do so many things because I was a student, because I was a kid, and because this was my community. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, talking to everyone, the bus really helped. So, yeah, but I feel that. I definitely feel empowered to be a kid. I feel like most people do, too. That's why they live here, adults. You know, this does feel like... Uh, a never never land type of city, you know? Mm-hmm. It's there's this crazy juxtaposition between this like deep cosmic awakening and understanding and also a place where people like never have to grow up in positive ways and I feel like ways that are more are like less mature. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like Yeah. Maybe that's just a personal like experience, but there's so many options. There's so many options out So here. many paths. There are. There are so many paths out here. And that's why I love it. The I thing love is, it too. This place was for and by the misfits, you know? It's like people that did not fit in, you come here. Like, this is the refuge and in many ways. But at the same time, I also want to counter that by saying, you know, San Francisco has a very liberal facade. It, in fact, is a facade, however. We need to keep in mind, like, the actual intentions versus effects and what's actually going on. But 
I do have to say, like, San Francisco does have many paths. There's many things to do. There's, um, there's so many different neighborhoods. There's so many different um, communities to engage yourself in. Gosh, I remember even growing up, like, there's this one club of old women that would always be at the Sharon Art Studio, the stained glass one, um, where you can make stained glass and mm-hmm. fuse glass. But it was, like, this group of women, I remember they told me, like, they looked 70, but they are like, we are all into funk. Like, this is us. Funk and fuse glass. I was like, cool. Whatever floats your boat. Like, <laughs> for show. And I was a kid, so I was like, tight. Now I know. Life goals. I think maybe that's a new San Francisco motto. Whatever floats your boat. Whatever floats the boat, yo. For real. On the real, I, I feel like San Francisco is the type of place that you can do whatever the fuck you want as long as you don't infringe on other people. Right. Mm. I remember the first time I went to Dolores Park and you know, you know Dolores Park. For those yes. people that don't know Dolores Park, it's this park in the mission and uh, you can buy weed brownies there, you can buy mushroom chocolates, you can buy acid, people are drinking and like <laughs> playing bongo drums and like having dance circles and it's just like a very liberated open place and you wonder how that's allowed. But in general I think it's the concept in San Francisco that as long as you are like holding down your own shit, then you're all right. Yeah. And if you outnumber the police, then that's perfect. (laughs) I mean, there's so many, there's no way the police can like confiscate that many like 40s, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) Right. It's kind of impossible. I also think they probably just have other things to deal with. Oh, totally. You know, it's like people are just chilling out, drinking a 40 in the park. It's just like, how, how important is that really? Right. We got bigger things in this world to worry about. Yeah, especially in a city like San Francisco. Yeah. But I just also remember Dolores Park when we could never go there, <laughs> when it was not safe, or like when we, I remember, yeah, like telling my mom now that I'm going to Dolores Park, I was like, oh yeah, we're going to go to Dolores Park and chill. She's like, what? Be so careful. I'm like, okay. Just because it was a bad part of town? It just was so different because you used to find needles there. I'm sure you can still find needles there if you really look, but there was a lot of needles there. Just grimy. Yeah, and just shady things. It wasn't as yeah. It now it's just such a scene. It's crazy. But before, like I just remember not as many people going there. Um, yeah, but there's that's that's like that with a lot of spots in San Francisco now. Like Valencia, totally different. Valencia Gardens got a facelift, and then Four Barrel Coffee got there, and it's a totally new space. Yeah, I do some walking tours, some like street photography walking tours, and I always like to show people the the way neighborhoods like come up against each other, and they're yeah. distinctly like one block to the next is so different. Word. And the cultural difference between Valencia Street and Mission Street is so um, stark. It you is. Know, you know, you're just like, wow. Like, yeah. Valencia is just a trip in general. It's like this new pottery barn, except with good coffee. You know, it's like, I'm really confused. I I don't know what to do. Because, <laughs> yeah, when I was younger, we could, I mean, it was mostly like scraper cars. You know, you'd be, it would be intimidating to go down there, especially young and a woman going down there. But now it's the spot. I just, it baffles me just how quickly um, the city is changed, has changed in the past like five, ten years, mm-hmm. and it's just so rapid. Like things going up and down in no time. It's crazy. I think they're only going to be moving faster. Yeah, yeah, but it scares me. These cranes, like the number of cranes out there, and 
then I don't even know. It's hard. It's it's hard for me to deal with personally. I think when I first came back to the city from college and I saw um, Google buses and I just saw like, oh, like coffee $7 at this one place. Literally, it's a $7 cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. Just other things like that or just the fact that our black population went from 20% to 3% in like a span of like less than 20 years. It's like I'm baffled to say the very least. It's kind of like when I came back, yeah, I just was so overstimulated by all the differences. And I think it's also because it coincided with the death of my grandfather and who's like, to me, he's OG San Francisco. Like that's, he's San Francisco. So I think everything just kind of happened real quick for me. It was like, boom, welcome. And it's like, all these, so many people are moving out. So many people I knew are moving like Antioch, East Bay, because San Francisco's too much. It's like, yeah, it's like, for me, a lot of that, the folks that I grew up with and a lot of um, the folks of color and the working class groups or those, you know, the people on the margins, the artists, I just see less and less. And it sucks when I see people that look like they dress all the same. (laughs) Sorry, I'm just I'm just used to a little bit more like, you know, like be funky with the fact, like do what you do, you know, like it's all good. You don't got to swim with the stream. You don't got to wear that same, you know, I'm just, yeah, I'm just over it. I just, I need some flavor. It's like we, you, yeah, it's just, I just can't stand conformity. Right. That Yeah, that's basically, I can't stand conformity. You want that's San Francisco to maintain the misfit yes. ethos. Because everything I was taught. As a kid, was, like I feel like throughout my upbringing, I've had those teachers and those communities that have been like, you are different, Aaron. Mm-hmm. I mean, you are who you are. It's all good. Yeah. And they've really developed that part in me and especially my own personal voice as well. So Right. Yeah. Well, I really enjoy a, a saying that someone told me and they said, you go to New York if you want to be someone important. You go to Los Angeles if you want to be someone else. And you go to San Francisco if you want to be yourself. Hey! So maybe that's my San Francisco pride coming through, but I feel like that's the type of place. It's just like, be yourself to the max, right? Yeah. And share that because that's something that is completely unique, mm-hmm. right? And rare and special. Right. And, you know, I really appreciate you coming to share some time today. Yeah. I think you are the perfect um, personification and you very well articulated the multiple sides of San Francisco and mm-hmm. how the internal affects the external and uh, I really appreciate you sharing. Yo, thank you for having me. I could go for days on this topic. I think we could. The motherland. Well, we know. I was going to ask you like where is Aaron Kimura in, in 10 years but since we're focused on the present I'm not going to ask that question. I'll just have you back and we'll have another conversation and see see what it is. Yes. We'll wait and see. You'll find me. I'll I'll make a splash somehow. (laughs) You already know.